Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wool on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, a quick apology that we've been uh, off the past few weeks. I have been away for a bunch of conferences and various other travel and obviously Thanksgiving, but we have a bunch of great guests lined up. So uh, hopefully we'll be back to a regular schedule at least until the holidays at the end of December. And indeed, I will mention that today's guest is someone that I met at one of those conferences while I was traveling. So the travel was worthwhile, uh, at least in finding more excellent guests for the podcast. Um, there now has obviously been a lot of talk about generative AI in the last year or so and what's going on with it. And we've had a few podcasts talking about that topic from a variety of different perspectives. But as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I was asked to moderate some discussions at the Future in Review conference, including with Jonathan Ross of Grok, that's G-R-O-Q, a name that will become important in a moment. Uh, Jonathan is the founder and CEO of Grok, and that is a company that is building AI chips that are significantly faster than GPUs and other chips that are being used for AI today. Uh, prior to Grok, Jonathan was at Google, where he designed Google's AI chips. Now, after learning more and more about Grok and Jonathan, including his vision for what he's trying to do with AI and with Grok, I've gotten more and more interested in the company and, uh, and really what it's trying to accomplish. And also what it means, I think, for the future of AI, because to me, it's absolutely fascinating and really got my mind racing about where things might go in the future because of the technology that they're working on. But notably, just before we met, uh, Elon Musk, who we also have talked about way too much, uh, both on the podcast and on TechDirt itself, launched his rushed entrance uh, into the AI space uh, from his company, which is named XAI, which may or may not be tied as a corporation to X, which was formerly known as Twitter and may or may not be tied to Tesla, which is a public company that seems to randomly share employees and resources with other Elon companies. And for unclear reasons, uh, Elon decided to name his AI Grok, G-R-O-K, which is a term from Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, though bizarrely, Elon keeps claiming that his Grok is modeled on Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide for the Galaxy, which I'll note is a very different book and does not have the word Grok in it, as far as I know. Anyways... Uh, soon afterwards, Jonathan put up a very fun blog post, which we wrote about as well on TechDirt, using uh, his technology from Grok, G-R-O-Q, uh, to suggest other better suited names for Elon's AI, and also to demonstrate how much faster Grok, again, with a Q, how much faster Grok's technology is. So it's great to have Jonathan on the podcast today to talk about 
some stuff around the state of AI and what is happening in the AI world today. But I feel that we need to start by hopefully briefly addressing the whole Elon Musk grok grok situation. So, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, and uh, what uh, what do you have to say about the Elon Musk grok uh, well, AI? I'm, I'm going to remove some of the mystery. We we know why um, he named the company Grok or the the LLM Grok because it's an awesome name, right? <laughs> I mean, just come on, and uh, it's taken, but it's yes. awesome. So <laughs> mystery dispelled. Um, and it's not going to get confusing at all as we talk about Grok and Grok. I can't imagine <laughs> how anyone would confuse those two names, Grok and Grok. Um, you know which one I'm talking about, right? Of course. Of course. Um, so, uh, you know, we've had a lot of fun with it. Um, in particular, you know, you mentioned sort of, you know, the XAI launch was a little rushed. And the the comparison videos that we've put up of um, Grok with a Q versus Grok with a K have been uh, very well received. Um, uh, yeah, it, they're pretty laughter inducing. Um, yeah. it's, if, it's, yeah. Yeah. If, if you haven't seen it yet, I mean, I know it's, there's a version of, of it on your website. If you find the tech dirt article that I wrote, I posted, I embedded a version, uh, that compares, <laughs> uh, uh, the llama, uh, uh, LLM running on Grok with a Q technology versus XAI's grok uh and it is just the difference is very very noticeable so uh, yes <laughs> so so just i mean you'll watch the video it's hilarious um in the time that it takes to get one answer from uh grok with a k i think i ask four different questions and get the answers and <laughs> that includes my typing and i'm not the world's fastest typist so uh quite a bit faster but I, I, the most interesting part about this, there's a lot of controversy around ownership, IP, um, all these other things in generative AI. It's it's a huge controversy right now. And um, obviously, you have to protect artists' rights. Otherwise, mm -hmm. they why are they going to do what they're doing? How are they going to make a living? I mean, you're, you're making what you're doing. You're, you're, what you're doing is based on their work. And I thought it was a very interesting um, start to XAI's large language model to, um, to, to so fragrantly violate IP by starting off by stepping on an existing company's trademark in the space <laughs> yeah. with an identical sounding name. I, I think that says it all for what artists and writers can expect <laughs> um, from, from XAI's LLM. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, um, you know, with trademark, you know, I've always tried to distinguish trademark from, from copyright and patents, uh, because I think they're they're really different and they serve a, a really different purpose, but it is important. There are obviously some similarities, but like the fundamental aspect of trademark is that it's, you know, it, it's a, well, designation of origin right and it's you know it it it's to avoid consumer confusion and and you know 
when you have a name that sounds the same and which we here, even in this discussion, have to keep clarifying with a Q or with a K, there's obvious confusion. And that's like, that is a very legitimate purpose of trademark law to to make sure that you don't have that kind of confusion. <laughs> I mean, we, we've had the confusion already. Um, there's pe- There are people who are like, oh, you know, is that Elon's thing or... Um, and I'm pretty sure Elon's probably getting a lot of questions about how to accelerate large language models <laughs> using the Grok inference engine, because we're very well known. Um, so, you know, it's it's not great for him either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you want to. So, I mean, you just mentioned the, the inference engine and the and, and obviously the demo where you're showing how much mm-hmm. faster it is. Do you want to just talk a little bit about what it is that that you guys do and why it's why it's different? Because this was the thing that that sort of, you know, originally when, when we met a few weeks ago um, and I sat through a demo of, of the technology that you're working on and all of a sudden, like my mind just started spinning with all these different ideas. Um, and so do you want to explain a little bit like what it is that you're doing and why it's important and why it's different than, than others that are out there in the, in the AI space? Yes. And I thought you would never ask. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so let me, let me jump into this. So, um, it's interesting. Um, so if you think about, I'm going to go back to analogy to explain what we're doing. Uh, apologies, you know, but this is a good way to do it. Um, when Henry Ford started building cars, um, there were good cars, but they were expensive. Mm-hmm. And he went to an extreme. I'm sure every one of his people was like, are you nuts? You're going to change the way we build cars. And then he, he started, you know, man, like automating and, and building factories and so on. And like, why wasn't the car good enough? Why'd you have to stop there? And what ended up happening was that factories drove the cost of cars down to the point where pretty much everyone could afford a car. And that changed cities and that changed the nation and that changed society, right? You could live a different way. You could live in a suburb. You didn't have to be right next to the, you didn't have to be within walking distance. Mm-hmm. You could um, travel, right? Everything was different. So with large language models, right now we're experiencing that early phase where they're very expensive. This is why uh, you're, you're seeing the, the main providers of them charge. They're, they're so expensive, you can't give them away for free, mm-hmm. unlike most internet services. And they're, they're actually not as good as they could be. You can actually improve the quality pretty significantly by throwing more compute at it, like you know, I like to say that there's this latent capability. You give me any one of these models and I can crank up the quality on it by throwing more compute at it. And they're already pretty good, but they can get a lot better. And so it's very much like that. And what we did was we actually changed the system to be more like a factory. The demo that I showed you that was fast, that Mm -hmm. was running on 576 chips. And for comparison, the largest production configuration I'm currently aware of of GPUs to run LLMs is 24. Hmm. So that's 20x larger. Right. And we're growing that quite a bit. So just like with a factory where um, you're able to get more predictable output, you're able to get more output, you're able to get more quality out of it. We've actually built the factory for LLMs, so we're driving the cost down. We want to make sure that everyone has access to AI. 
right now there's the GPU rich and the GPU poor. We want to end that and give everyone an LPU. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things, and, and it, I think it took me a little while to even wrap my head around this and sort of thinking through this and, and you gave, you gave well, not, an example, not just you though, everyone. Cause like yeah. <laughs> we have really sophisticated, no, 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 really sophisticated like chip and system designers who are like, you're using 576 chips. That must be incredibly expensive. And we're like, that's like saying it must be really expensive to build a car in a factory because the factory's big. You amortize it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I'm, there are a whole bunch of different directions I can go with this, but, but, but uh, I, I wanted to focus in on one thing, which again, you, you had brought up in the past and it, it took me, I think I heard you say it two or three times before it sort of clicked in my head, which is this idea of like the, the epiphany uh, with, with like, you know, uh, and with with inferences, where where this idea of you know, if you think of uh, sort of standard LLM, what it's doing is sort of predicting the next word and the next mm -hmm. word and the next word, and that's what everybody talks about, and that's been discussed in this whole idea. And part of what you were saying is that you know, if you're just sort of predicting the next word, you can only get so far, and you begin to some some problems begin to come up. Yes. Whereas if you have the speed and the compute and the power behind all this and you can predict out a hundred words or whatever mm -hmm. and sort of figure out like what are the best next hundred words, you get you get more of the sort of epiphanies that come out of this. So let let, let me jump in on that. Okay. So the way to think about it is in tic-tac-toe, you can make nine moves. Mm -hmm. In chess, you can make roughly 30 moves. In Go, which it, we only beat a world champion in, I think, 2016 or so, mm -hmm. um, there's 360 moves. So 9, 30, 360. In language, in these large language models, you have 32,000 different tokens you can select from. That's why, until recently, you couldn't fool a human being into thinking that one of these bots was another human being. The space was too large. And... Um, just like with chess, you don't just play the first move. You don't just say the first word that pops into your mind. You think about it. And an example of this, and I, I, I think I gave you this example, but like, what is the next word that I'm about to say? That's right. Everyone predicts say. Right. But if I ask you, what is the second derivative of the square of the hyperbolic <laughs> tangent? You don't say anything. Right. Because you know that you do not know. And then right. you get into thinking mode. <laughs> and what people are doing right now is instead of searching the space of tokens to find the right words, what they're doing is they're just giving you the next token. That's why they hallucinate. And mm -hmm. once you throw a little more compute at this, you can fix that. And so I have a prediction that in the next year, hallucinations are going to be fixed, gone. No one's going to tolerate them because the first, you know, people who start like really fixing that, um, it's just going to become an expectation. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me because then, I mean, the argument that you're making is that everybody's focused on the LLMs, right? And they have to improve the LLMs or they have to, to, to train them differently or whatever. Um, but you're arguing that you could take the same LLMs and just by adding more compute to it, you can solve a bunch of these problems and make the technology better. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll blow your mind even further. Um, so think about it this way. These large language models as good as the results are, they're stream of consciousness. 
Right. Like they don't they don't get a backspace or a delete key and they're producing results as good. Could you do these results without the back? <laughs> yeah, right? So so now you let them reflect. You you give you let them give an answer and then you say, "Okay, how could you improve your answer?" And it will give you all sorts of ways and you're like, "Great, do it." And it does it and it gets much better. Sort of like being able to to go over your own output multiple right. times and improve it. And so like the quality improvement, if you throw a little extra compute, if you throw a few more iterations, is incredible. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's, let's, we, you started to bring up this discussion on like the questions around IP and, um, and, and kind of the ethics around some of this. Um, I do, I do think that's a really interesting discussion and it's one worth having. And there are, again, a few different directions to, to go in. The one that I think is interesting and which we were discussing a little bit before we started recording is around the, the IP questions on the output of this mm. stuff and, and where does that lead, you know, and, and what does that mean from like, you know, from, from a regulatory standpoint and, and from a, a, a bunch of different angles where right now the, you know, you know, the, where this has been mostly discussed is like somebody creates an image with stable diffusion or mid journey or whatever. Uh, and the copyright office in the U S for example, will not recognize it in most jurisdictions around the world. Um, whatever the equivalent is of the copyright office, they say, if it's not produced by a human, it doesn't get copyright. And that's an interesting, mostly intellectual discussion. I don't know how important that is in general, but as these models and as these systems get more powerful, it starts to become a bigger and bigger issue. Um, and so I was wondering, like, what, what are your thoughts in general on what happens to the world uh, as, as these systems become more powerful? Well, um, I would, I would go back to, um, changes in sort of technological ages. So when we got into the information age, the, the reason was for the first time we could repeatably replicate information. Mm -hmm. Like before, right, before the printing press, it was really hard to get an exact copy of something. Mm -hmm. And what you see is over a period of time, the information age, the ability to copy got better and better and better and better. And one of the transitions to the information age, pre-information age, one of the things that was most valued was an, a person's ability to, at the right time, have the right information. It was mm -hmm. less about um, authorship. It was less about origination. And it was more about, I needed that. In, I, I got bitten by a snake. I need to know what to do. <laughs> who cares who invented the, the procedure? I just right. need to survive. But with that ability to replicate information, suddenly the origination became the valuable thing that society wanted to promote. And so this is where IP law came in. It, you know, I think this is one of the reasons trademarks so different because it's not so much about, we want to promote people coming up with new brand names. It's right. just that confusion. Whereas with this other stuff, it's like, would, would someone go through the effort to invent a life-saving drug if and spend all the money if someone could very cheaply knock it off the next day. No. Right. With generative AI, that whole thing gets flipped because yes. now I can generate potentially like in a couple like a year or two from now, I can generate 
drugs that are very specific, very tailored. And this is where it gets interesting. Now that tailoring might be where the value comes from. Instead of I had an idea once, it's I can repeatably give you the ideal solution. I've built the apparatus for that and that's what you value. Yeah, I, I think I think that is really, really interesting. I mean, we've I've spent decades with TechDirt sort of talking about how much of sort of, you know, copyright law and in some aspects, patent law are sort of obsoleted by technology. And and if you think about it, the internet itself is in so much direct conflict with copyright law. It's 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 kind of funny that we sort of still allow both of them to exist together and we sort of pretend that they work together through some some sort of you know tap dancing and pretending um but i think you're making a really good point where it's like you know the 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 things that i always think about are you know where where are the sort of friction points in in the sort of creativity and that's where the value often is and Historically, you're right. It was in the creation. And mm -hmm. what you're pointing out now is as these models get more and more powerful, the creation is no longer the friction point. But there can be a whole bunch of other things that are, you know, where there, there is still friction and there is still value. And I love the idea of it being in the sort of customization and, and you know, you know, making something that is specific to you. There's been this dream, I think, for years of customized medicine and, you know, really understanding, you know, as opposed to just like throwing the same drug at everybody who has certain symptoms, recognizing that everybody is different and they have different interactions with different drugs and different, you know, different medical issues and the ability to, to actually craft a custom regime, a custom pharmaceutical or whatever it might be that takes into account all of those things is, is really powerful and you know but but creates a very different model than one where you get a patent on a single drug you you know have to test it for however many years through all these different levels of tests and then you have patent protection for you know effectively 20 years and then you have generics that that compete with it in some sense um so you're talking about a very different model then yes yes and um i i, I <clears throat> I don't have a preference any particular way. I mean, we just have to reflect on the fact that society is changing whether we like it or not. And yeah. um, this is typically when, when we say that uh, the, a technological age has changed. So we got into the information age, we've been in it a while, we've gotten very used to it, we built businesses on this idea and that idea has just changed. I think we're now entering the generative age mm -hmm. and it's gonna be very different. And so, and I think a lot of people recognize that. I think a lot of people recognize that the gener generative age, as you put it, is is changing things massively in, in lots of different industries and in lots of different ways. And people are reacting to it in really, really different ways. Um, some I think are, are interesting. Some I think are, you know, uh, less interesting, we'll say. <laughs> I was trying to think of the diplomatic <laughs> phrase to use here. But- Sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel that, you know, I, I think, I think lots of people recognize this and there is this, this rush 
to do a few things. One of which is, you know, uh, to, to put in place some sort of regulations around AI. There's certainly a lot of talk about, um, you know, uh, making sure that, that AI is properly regulated. Um, and so, you know, and, and I have some fears and I've written about this where it feels like some of the, the folks in the industry who are calling for this are really sort of asking for a regulatory moat. They're basically saying like, there's going to be a lot of competition. We don't have anything that sort of stops competition. Therefore, we want regulations that effectively make it impossible for other companies to compete with us. Or maybe there will be like three big companies or something along those lines. Um, I'm a little worried about that. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of that that whole arena right now and the questions around regulating AI? I'm incredibly worried about it. I mean, um, I'll just put it bluntly. Um, meta open sourcing Llama uh, probably saved Grok. We're like on a high right now. <laughs> we couldn't. The, the problem was there was a handful of companies that were were actually running models that were sophisticated enough for our hardware to matter. Everything else was just too simple. It was irrelevant. And I, I, I'm not going to say which one, but one of the, the very large hyperscalers, one of the, the direct reports to the CEO called me up at one point and was like, um, we can't get any GPUs and we want to launch this thing. Can, can we use you? And we're like, yes, absolutely. Send us the model and we'll compile it. And we'll tell you how fast because they need to know how fast. And they right. couldn't get us anything. They, it was like completely closed source. They couldn't do huh. anything. We just couldn't prove out our capabilities. And then Meta released their model. And I think five days later, we had it running and not too long after running very fast. And ever since we've had this demo, we've been able to show what we could do. Think about all the other companies out there that are in a similar situation where they can't train these big models, right? And so, but but the reality is, um, if you have a couple of big companies uh, with all of these, these models, they get to dictate everything. No one understands this. Everyone's confused. They're, they're saying things. Now, I also want to be clear. I don't think that there's like, you know, um, what is it? Smithers, like the, the evil character in Simpsons. I, I get confused with his assistant. Uh, uh, Smithers is Mr. the Burns. assistant. Mr. Burns, Burns is the... Yeah. Uh, I don't think the, there's a yeah. Mr. Burns that each of these tech companies going, excellent, excellent. I very much doubt that. But it's, you know, as Munger puts it, it's really hard for someone to realize, um, you know, that something doesn't make sense when their salary depends on them not getting <laughs> right. it. And right. like their success, these large tech companies really right now depends on this. Think about how scary it is to be Google right now. Yeah. Like, seriously, your business has just been completely upended and you're going around saying, Oh, it's all okay. The engagement isn't very high on these things. Well, <laughs> you know what changes engagement? Speed. You know what's yeah. about to happen with these large language models? They're about to get really fast, as we've shown, right? Yeah. And then the engagement is going to be very high. And they're going to have lost their, their technical mode. So I, I also want to point out that the rate of progress on these large language models in the open source community has been way faster than the proprietary models. 
Right. I'm, I'm watching both sides of this. Um, I was talking to a VP at one of the hyperscalers with access to the proprietary models. And they're like, I can't even keep up with the open source. Like yeah. I, I can track what's going on. I can't keep up with this. It's just so fast. So the reality is it's happening. It's good. It's, it's, a, it's what would have happened if Linux was started in an era where open source was embraced. <laughs> right. Right. And it's so powerful and everyone wants to understand it. And everyone wants to play with it. And businesses are going to be built on these open source models. And so my prediction is in a year from now, and like, you know, most people, when they make predictions, they make them five years out. Why? Well, it's helpful because no one's going to remember, right? <laughs> right, right. One, one year predictions are riskier. Like you're more likely to be right, but they're riskier. <laughs> I think in one year from now, open source models will be generally considered at least on par with all of the proprietary models in large part because the proprietary models are going to be getting all the innovations from the open source models. They're going to be adding them as quickly as they can, right. but the open source models will lead and it will be a close chase, but the open source models will get there first over and over and over again. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you think that means for the overall system. Cause I, I agree with you. And I think we're already seeing that with the way the open source models have been embraced. Um, as there is this, this rush still to, to kind of regulate and, and where the regulation is placed and where the pressures are um, is still kind of an open question, depending on who you talk to. But if, you know, if the regulatory focus is on regulating the companies who generally have the proprietary models versus the open source models that they have no control over that anyone can, can build on and do stuff with what, what happens? Well, and, and I'm not quite sure I'm following. So you're saying if, um, you know, what, what happens if the companies are regulated rather than the models? Well, it, I, I guess because, I mean, there's obviously a lot of different experimentation going on in terms of what the, the regulations look like, right? And Europe yeah. has their approach. The U.S. is doing a lot of talking. They, obviously, Biden did the um, executive order, which is limited in its scope. But Why don't we do yeah. this? What is the first principle here? What do we care about? We care about safety. And I think a lot of people are very, very confused about what safety means. There's, there's really kind of three components to safety. The first is saying what safe means, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have to define it because people are going to disagree. The second is, are these things actually doing the safe things? Um, and, and then the third is verifying that they're doing them. That's very different from whether or not they are. And you have right. to check. And you need these three components. And it's funny because it's almost like because it's AI, everyone has forgotten basic engineering. <laughs> but there are these things called um, systems and right. control <laughs> systems. And there are some very well understood things about these systems. So the first is, you know, you've got to have, I forget the terminology, but you've got to have like a goal in the control system. And then like you're hunting for it and you're trying to like match it or whatever. You can look at this sort of stuff and get a really good sense for what makes sense and what doesn't. I can tell you what does not make sense. Having a smaller number of dimensions than a larger number because it becomes very unstable very quickly. Having right. a couple of companies run this is very scary. Having right. a large number of players on this is a much better opportunity for stability in these sorts of systems. Now, 
Um, there's also the speed at which things are going. It is going very fast. When things are going very fast, you need a higher dimensionality space in order to keep things stable. The like, I actually think, you know, if, if civilizations are, are being generated in the universe at some clip, um, the ones that, that continue to exist after AI, and many of them do, I, I predict, are the ones where they got it right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think the danger drops dramatically after you get past that first point. And it drops dramatically in part because you get a lot of AIs, which are all in part of that control system and keeping things stable. So um, there's a limited period of time to get it right. Mm -hmm. And that does not involve having a small number of entities deciding what's going on. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. Right. Um, And so I have to ask then, based on that, you know, obviously a lot of the talk in the space is around open AI over the last few weeks, open AI has gone through a bit of turbulence. I would say. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, three different CEOs in three different days and then the return and the threatening of quitting and all sorts of stuff. Um, but, you know, OpenAI is is sort of an interesting, it's an interesting company because of the, the, the setup of it, obviously, with the nonprofit. Um, but also they have been, and, and Sam Altman in particular, have been sort of like a kind of leading voice talking about how they're trying to build a, a safe AI. But it feels like to me, and, and you don't have to agree with this, certainly, it feels like to me, again, that he's viewing that in a different direction than you are and that his his view is that open ai will build the safe ai and everybody else's ai is a little bit a little bit questionable so i don't know why anyone would be concerned right now about open ai making all the decisions <laughs> um it doesn't matter who you you shouldn't trust grok you shouldn't trust any one entity you need multiple, you need detente, you need, you need um, a high dimensionality space. Yeah. That's basic control system theory, right? Um, but we have to define what safety means. The, the analogy of a genie is great, right? Because if you can very clearly articulate what safety means or, and what you want, um, that doesn't mean that the system is going to do what you actually want. And in that, in the design of that system is going to have a huge effect. So here's an example. You, you, one day you're walking along and and you get a lamp and there's a genie in it and you make a wish. Well, first wish is I want more wishes. And genie's like, no, 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 I've heard that one. You can't have that, (laughs) but you have anything else. And, and you're like, okay, well, first of all, I want to have uh, so much money that I never have to think about money again. All right. Here's where things diverge dramatically. What you really want is a genie who goes, great, I've set up uh, an offshore account. The taxes are already paid. I've already <laughs> filed them for you for um, you know a trillion dollars worth of liquid assets that, by the way, I've set it up so you can draw on it and it will not cause instability in the world economy, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What right. you don't want is the genie who incompetently 
puts a bunch of gold in your basement and <laughs> and of questionable origin right um uh, doesn't teach you how to deal with it right like you're gonna have like if you're successful you're gonna have the lottery winner's curse right right is the genie gonna deal with that for you or is that on your own right um what about the the malevolent genie what about the the genie that just doesn't understand what about the genie who's socially inept and uh, makes you wealthy in a way that like destroys your social life like there's so many ways that it could go wrong. It's not even funny because everything is specified imperfectly. And so the, the entities that are building these AIs mm-hmm. are going to affect how they deal with your queries. There's going to be a lot of implicit capability. And so you can either just trust them or you can use open source models where it's generally well understood. There's there's a lot of societal changes. And look, you're not going to get everything you want. If if everyone gets their own genie, not everyone gets to be president, right? Let's just be clear. <laughs> so that's also going to change society. Think about that one for a moment. If everyone is their own genie, can there even be a president? Does that even make sense? <laughs> right? How do you govern in such a society? Yeah. So you know, and then there's the whole verification, but, but that's one side of it. The, the real problem is that everyone else is a genie and some of them, <laughs> some of them are dictatorships around the world. Yeah. And what are they going to do with it? They're going to wish that you have election problems, right? Yeah. And so you got to fight against that. And so in the end, there is no real magic. There's just a change in technological capability. And we as a society have to get used to it and build on top of it. Yeah. And I think that that is important. And it, it's sort of, it's interesting to me that this, this kind of reflects back on conversations that I think we've been having for many, many years, though, in slightly different contexts around like competition and open source and all of this stuff. And, and the, the idea being that, you know, not locking things up in, in a few small companies is actually really, really important for the systems itself to, for, for one, for society to adapt to these things as opposed to allowing the companies to control the adaptation. Um, and also just for enabling better long-term solutions, I think, come from having that sort of widespread competition. It's why, like, we talk a lot about, you know, trying to, to push for more open protocols as opposed to closed platforms and things I like mean, that. Linux is more secure. Like yes. that's all you got to say. Like yeah. right now, um, Android, which is mostly open source, not completely, but mostly, right. um, Android, it used to be that it cost more to get a zero day exploit for iPhone or for iOS than mm-hmm. for Android. And now it's flipped. It's actually more right. expensive to get an because it's open source. There's a bunch of eyes on it. There's a bunch of people pounding on it. And it's safer. And if you want safety, you want openness. I mean, it's in the name opening app. The models aren't open. <laughs> yes. but like that is, there's a reason why that name was chosen. Yeah. Though, though, again, like that is, uh, according to Elon, part of the reason why he created XAI was because he was upset that OpenAI was no longer open. Though I'm not sure how open uh, XAI's uh, technology is going to be either. He's, he seems to... Uh, well, let's let's see if he's willing to open up all the Twitter data. I think that got shut down, right? I mean, yeah. not, not so open. Yes, and, yes. Only, and, uh, <laughs> only his... Uh, his AI is trained on it. Everybody else, you you can pay uh, quite a lot of money for access to the API. I don't know if anyone is actually paying for that, but um, I think I 
think what OpenAI did that was very valuable was they gave other people access to the API. Right. That opened things up for a lot of people. And in that way, you can keep the name OpenAI and it can mean something. Right. Um, you know, I think we're we're gonna have varying degrees of openness. Mm-hmm. What I what I think will end up happening though is I think in the end, uh, we will end up basing most things on a couple of foundational models. Mm-hmm. And the the ones that are most like eventually the engineering costs are gonna get so stratospheric that it's gonna make sense to have only a handful and the open ones are gonna win. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine OpenAI and others will build a business on top of that. They will have their own cleverness on top of them, but it'll be a shared open model. Like, I mean, designing a car chassis costs billions of dollars, and then you build every variant of your car on that. Like, you'd be shocked at the weird, like, it's a single chassis, but you've got everything from like pickup trucks to sedans on the same thing, yep. right? Because it costs so much. That's what's going to happen with LLMs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, but then the, the question, just to bring it back around a little bit on the regulatory front, because I know certainly a lot of people listening to this will be are thinking about that. Um, what, what does that mean for the regulatory environment? What does that mean for, you know, the, whether it's the European approach, the UK approach or the U S approach to, you know, there's all this talk about, um, you know, how, how best to, to, to regulate the AI space. If that's the case, if your prediction is true that you'll have a few of these, these different models, um, what does that mean for the regulatory space? So this is definitely not my area of expertise. So I can, I can come at it from first principles and and ask again, what are we trying to accomplish? So we're trying to accomplish safety, right? Mm -hmm. And we're trying to accomplish safety in the sense of, these things don't come alive, which by the way is a little bit ridiculous and we can get into that another time. Yeah. But the other one is uh, from, from bad actors. Yep. And, you know, I'm not one of these people who says it's just, you know, people who kill people, not guns. You put a gun in someone's hand and mm-hmm. there are more likely to be deaths, right? Yep. But the reality is um, the genie's out of the bottle on this one, right? Yep. And unlike... Uh, guns which have to be manufactured. I mean, these LLMs, they frankly, they just run on chips. Yep. And so if I was regulating, I would regulate the chips. And as a chip producer, that's probably not 100% of my interest to say. (laughs) But here's the way to think about it. In the 50s, we had all these concerns, like the 1950s, all these concerns Mm -hmm. that radiation was going to cause like giant monsters and Godzilla and everything. And it was just going to like, you know, come out of the water and attack cities or whatever. Uh, where did Godzilla get all the fish? <laughs> like, let's, let's be realistic. All things in the world are based on some finite resources. And right. when it comes to large language models, they're limited by the number of tokens per second. The, the speed of those tokens produced, the number of them, those are the physical limitations of AI. And that is controlled by the chips. Mm-hmm. Now we've been attempting to regulate this, and I think um, the the best of intentions here have led to very clever people on the other side going, "Well, here's here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna uh, you know get around that." 
And I've been trying to offer some feedback on ways to close that up. We have voluntarily decided that we won't sell uh, to the PRC and, and entities that are like companies in, in you know China. We right. love the Chinese people. And that's a big part of why we will not sell it to an, uh, a regime that is going to use this to control them. Right. right. So um, I think you regulate the hardware. I think mm -hmm. that is the best way to do it. It's not like these algorithms are going to get magically better. Compute is a physical quantity and you have to perform it in order for these models to do what they do. Right. Um, and I should know because you've brought it up and I think it's, it's important that you're, you're producing your chips in the U S right now. That's right. That's correct. We fab our chips in Malta, New York. We assemble our systems in, um, California and our data centers are in Washington state and in, um, California at the moment, we're expanding over the U S and then, um, because this is interesting also, right? So in terms of the model for, for you as a company, right? You're, you're making chips. That's the, the most basic part of this. Um, but you're also, you're setting up your machines in data centers and you have this, you know, demo model, uh, uh, the, the inference engine using llama, um, which you've said you're going to replace your, your, uh, website. It'll just be that, that model. That's uh, and, um, and so is your business model selling the chips or is it selling time on your machines? Is it, what, what is it? Cause you could go in a bunch of different directions. So we sell the systems and we sell access to the API. So, mm -hmm. um, what we build is, is unique. We don't compete with GPUs. Mm -hmm. If you built every possible GPU you could. And, and there's a lot of limits because of memory uh, limits in the supply chain and, and, um, and interposers and all these other parts, which we don't use. Um, if you built every single one, you would be able to satisfy the, uh, the portion of the market that doesn't care about latency or how fast you get an answer. And then where we focus is on latency. So if you want to interact with a human being, if you want to give coaching to someone in a call center, if you want to generate websites live, if you want to do any of this kind of stuff, you're super latency constrained. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where we help. And we do that both through an API. So you don't have to buy the hardware from us. You can just pay us per token we generate, or you can buy systems. And, um, the the thing is, you know, as we make our website available, you'll be able to play with it. We, we're bringing the cost down enough that, you know, we're going to let people play with it for free. Um, and, you know, obviously we can't let people abuse that because you can always uh, abuse. Yep. Remember, finite resource, you know, otherwise you'd have Godzilla, right? Yep. Um, so there is a finite limit. But what we want to do is our mission is to make sure that everyone has access to AI because Back when I started the, the AI chip at Google, um, you know, it was even then in 2016 it was very like when I left, it was very clear that there were going to be the haves and the have nots when it came to AI compute. Right. And we just want to make sure that all society has it because that's the way to make it safest. Right. Cool. Well, um, 
as I said, like every time I talk to you, I feel like my mind goes in a whole bunch of different directions and I start thinking about a whole bunch of other stuff, but I also, you know, want to let you go and, <laughs> and do work. But, um, but I feel like you made some predictions for what will happen in a year. So I feel like we have to okay. have you back. I can make a few more. I can make a few more. Number one. It. Okay. Um, prompt engineering will become a serious discipline. Um, okay. Is, uh, is that not true already though? I think I think people are thinking that already. I think maybe now, uh, but I think you're gonna like. I'm literally seeing people do things uh, with one engineer in a weekend that six months ago would have been a billion dollar company, and in some <laughs> cases, it's something that couldn't even have existed six months ago. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to become the new. You know, software is eating the world. Prompt engineering is going to be eating the world, right? Yep. Um, and then I think in the next year we will have at least one probably two companies doing something, you know, billion dollar revenue companies doing something with LLMs that no one predicted would even be possible. Not even in a science fiction movie. Right. Within a year. Within a year. Okay. I, 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 I hope that's true. I, I don't know if I believe I, 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 I'm very much in the, the, um, I, I very much support the idea that that we tend to overpredict in a year and underpredict in ten years. But I'm 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 glad that you are going out on a limb and making these one year predictions. And I feel like that is a good reason to have you back in a year to see how well you did on these predictions. Um, but this is this as always when when I talk to you, I always like my mind just goes crazy with all these different ideas of where where things are going. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and and having this discussion and and uh and and i i'm i'm interested to see uh what happens with uh with with grok <laughs> with with a q with a q yes right? that was obvious right yes yes yeah. well I'm, I'm interested to see you know whether or not the one with the k uh ends up deciding that maybe it wasn't a good idea <laughs> I, I i have another prediction in in a year there will only be one grok and, okay uh, there we go you, I know which one you would bet on, on still being around. Yes. Yes. There we go. That is a good, good closing prediction. <laughs> All right. Well, again, Jonathan, thanks so much. Um, for folks who are interested, check out Grok with a Q, G-R-O-Q. Um, and uh, it's there's some really amazing stuff and obviously some really, really interesting things going on. And I think will lead to some, some pretty big changes in the world. So. Um, it's really cool. I'm glad that you were able to take the time and have this conversation. So thanks for joining us. And thanks to everyone for listening as well. And we will be back next week. To grab a shovel and think of the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get.